Well, thank you, Mike, and good morning. Good to, to be with you this morning. Uh, as Mike said, uh, my name is AJ. I'm one of the, the lay elders or, or lay pastors here at, uh, at Restoration Road, and it's my privilege to, to preach with you guys this morning. Uh, if, you, if you haven't been here, we've been going through the, the book of Proverbs, so starting off with going chapter by chapter and unpacking uh, what God gives us in those chapters. If you'd missed the last couple, you'd miss some, some pretty good ones that uh, the Mike has preached on uh, sexual immorality and adultery. If you missed those, don't worry, because we get it for a third time in a row. Uh, and that's one of those things, like, you kind of, you draw the date and look at the passage, and you're like, huh, third in a row, huh? Like, that's the way you're going to do this, God? Like, but we know that God's got a, a plan and a purpose with everything that he does, and, uh, and we know that when we see things in Scripture, what we've got in Scripture, he's got for a reason. And if we've got three chapters in a row dealing with, with the same idea that tells us this is a, a pretty big topic. Um, I know Mike mentioned a little bit about that last week in the sense of, of God repeats himself. It does us well to listen. Uh, and I've heard, it, I've heard it in other places where it's been said that, that God may be repetitive, but he is never redundant. And so that's one of those things that's not, he's not just beating the same drum over and over again. When we see the same thing again, it's a pretty good indication that this is of utmost importance and we need to, to get our, our ears open and, and take this thing to heart. So that's what we get in, in this particular chapter, chapter seven. Uh, so there will be some similarities that we see from the others, uh, from the, the past couple sermons, but, but as you can figure also some, some new things to consider. And that's one of the cool things with God's word is there's, there's always more to unpack and always more to, to consider. So from Proverbs 7, kind of the, the main idea to give you the layout, it'll start with, it'll start with some encouragement in terms of, of listening to God's word and, and keeping his commands close. And then it will go into a story. And so the, the title from the ESV, there's a title on it that uh, says it's the, the warnings against the adulteress. And it goes into a story uh, and it's, it's told as it, it's a father figure teaching his son and telling him the story of a person who doesn't keep God's commandments close and the, the foolishness of his ways and then the dire consequences in the end. So we'll get to go through that story. So before we unpack it, we'll read it together. Uh, so it's, it's 27, so 27 verses, so it'll take a, a little bit, uh, but a lot of the, a lot of the sentences are, are shorter, a lot of the verses. But let's read this together. Proverbs 7. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend, to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market. And at every corner, she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face, she says to him, 
I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her. As an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, O sons, listen to me, and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. So as you can see with this, Proverbs 7, it opened up the encouragement to keep God's commandments and live. That's what he said, keep my commandments and live. And then it closes with a warning that the adulteress's house leads to the chambers of death. So from the opening to the closing is giving us this story. And as we said, even covering this topic for three chapters in a row is this idea when he is saying this is as important as life and death. Keep my commandments and live. Her house, the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. So as it says, a matter of life or death, so then we want to think, why? Like, why, why is this such an important topic? Like, why do we have so much emphasis on this in the early chapters of, of Proverbs? So I'll get a little bit more into that in a moment, because we'll start addressing that as we go through the, the scripture. But the first, before I hit, hit the answer to that, I want to look at just the, the first three verses and consider what, what we saw. And the first three verses, what it was, was repetitiveness and encouragement to keep God's commandments. So taking a few of the words, he says, keep my words, treasure up my commandments, keep my commandments, keep my teachings, write them on your heart. So in at least five different ways, he's trying to get our attention as to the importance of God's wisdom and commandments. And we see that in the Proverbs. And one of the cool things with the Proverbs, and like with me getting to, to study this and go through it, it was really cool, of seeing really how much the Proverbs echo all of Scripture. So start reading early in Genesis and seeing the passage and what we're learning in Proverbs echoing what was taught from Genesis. And then going to Ephesians, which I'll reference a few times today, and seeing very strong correlations even in the pattern in the words that are used. And then seeing it in Revelation and seeing it in multiple places that I'll reference later. But really cool how what we get in Proverbs, it's not just wisdom, but an echo of God's whole story and an echo of, of the gospel. So he's getting our attention and telling us that these commandments are a matter of, of life or death. And what we see also in terms of the idea of commandments, we know that God did not give us his law, so he did not give us commands just to provide structure for us, although it does give us structure to our lives. He also did not give us commandments so that we could earn our way to him. So it's not a method that we can follow and earn our way to salvation, as we know that is impossible. But we have these commandments, 
And what it says here is they help to bring us life. Follow my commands and live. They bring us life, and really with that, they help to bring us closer to God who is life and the source of life. See, God created us with a a plan and a purpose, and he knows the ways to make us thrive the most, which is what we see in his commands. He knows how to best reflect his glory in us. He knows how to make us flourish, and he knows how to bring about the ultimate joy in us, which really is by finding joy in him. He is a good and trustworthy God, which doesn't change in his laws and commands. And when we follow his ways, we will find the most joy, and we will be he will be the most glorified. So in the end, it's a winning design that we can trust from our designer. In the end, we don't just follow the rules that he makes us follow. So like that's not the mentality or the heart that we have that he gives us rules and so we have to follow because he's our God. Rather, our, our posture is that we joyfully follow his lead, trusting that it will bring the most fruit, the most joy, and the most godly glory in the end. So it's a choice that leads to life. Keep my commandments and live. So we get to verse 5. We see that specifically the author is encouraging us to follow God's lead. So in this case, in regards to sexual morality, which is where the rest of the text takes us. We know that following God's commands brings life in all areas, but there's a special emphasis here on being especially careful in regards to sexual behavior. So as I mentioned before, there's a couple of reasons why I think this is the case. So I'm going, to hit, I'm going to hit a few of those. So first, consider the meaning of marriage and sexual relations. Like all things created by God, they are created to reflect Him. Marriage itself is a reflection of the gospel, which is explained in Ephesians 5. So the whole text, 22 to 33, but I'm going to take just a, a little chunk of that and, and read it so we can help to see the relationship between husband and wife and how that was created to reflect the relationship between Christ and the church. So a few of those verses from Ephesians 5. 25 first, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And further on, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So a marriage within the boundaries set by God will be a light to others as to who God is and how he relates to his people. That's what marriage is designed for. And as a bonus, in addition to that, we also experience the greatest joy that a marriage can offer when we have it rooted in scripture and in God's ways. We follow his design. Part of that is because Christ himself is the definition of love and has showed us the ultimate love through his sacrifice on the cross. So when we emulate him, we're emulating and showing the ultimate love, which will lead to the ultimate joy. So it reflects him, and we get the most out of the marriage in terms of flourishing. And you can imagine what a relationship would look like when people, when two people committed to humility, sacrifice, building each other up, so committed to those things among many others, When two people are committed to that, there's going to be a lot of strength and beauty in that particular relationship. And with that beauty, we see God's beauty being shown and reflected and points back to him. Another thing that's interesting is that even physiologically in marriage, in regards to the way that sex is designed for marriage and to keep a couple close, 
is that the way that God designed it, even just chemically in the brains, and this is some of my, my anatomy nerddom coming out, is that there's a bunch of chemicals that are released in the brain that help to build connections. So it builds connections to each other. And there's, and I had to calm myself down and not go through them all, but there's a bunch of different roles that each play that help to connect the people in multiple ways, not only that they have a more or a stronger and intimate connection, but also creates uh, a desire for them for one another down the road. So it brings them closer and closer and helps the marriage flourish when used the way God designed it. Outside of God's plan, the chemicals will get misplaced, and that leads to damage and addictions. On another note, our trust in God will be shown when marriage and sexuality are approached in this way. So that was the first one was mainly about the imaging of God and the way it will flourish with God. But then we also see that our trust is evident when we follow his ways. So to trust God's plan, also in, in, in the sense of trusting God's plan and not engaging sexual relations for, for those who aren't married, because I know we've got, this, this sermon isn't just for people who are married, but it's the general best approach to marriage and sexual relations in, you know, in all. But we know that to trust God's plan, even when not married and not engage in sexual relations, is extremely countercultural. It serves as a light to others in the way that we are different or set apart as we trust the goodness of God's commands and don't follow a lot of what gets pushed in our culture. When we look through the Bible on that idea of being set apart, when we look through the Bible, one of the narratives that we see is that God calls his people to be set apart throughout scriptures. So his people are different than the cultures around them. And in their differences, God's goodness and his sovereignty is seen. And that's one of the, the ways that he shows himself to these people. And one of the most common and consistent ways that God's people have been set apart through the course of history is by their sexual morality and ethics. So throughout, so throughout the Bible, like, and you can go back, you go back to, to early in, in Genesis, and you can see early on when God is giving the commands and telling his people how to behave and what to do, it is... It is the common theme through from beginning to end, you see it all the way into Revelation of sexual morality, sexual, eth sexual ethics being a standard emphasis that God has throughout the scripture, which as you can figure is, is easily seen today in our culture, the way that we are set apart by when we follow God's design, when we follow his commands in regards to sexuality, the, the morality, the ethics of it, based on the godly design, it is very different than what our culture says, and it does make us stand out pretty significantly. So whether married or single, our sexual morality and ethics are a direct reflection as to who our God is, and it's also a direct reflection as to how much we trust the goodness of his ways, which then is a testimony of our faith and the goodness of our God. So a third thought that I had in terms of why this emphasis deals with the, the seriousness that accompanies sexual sin. So I'm going to look at 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 20. So I'll read this and unpack it a little bit. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 20. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. 
Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So, so glorify God in your body. So we see some in here, there's this deepness that, uh, that accompanies sexual sin, one that is potentially more intimate than the other sins, which is why I think early in this chapter, it talks about keeping wisdom, keeping it, the commands intimate, like an intimate friend. And so there's this idea of intimacy that comes with it, with this depth. As 1 Corinthians explains, the two become one flesh. So that intimacy, that depth that we get from the sexual experience is one that with those types of sins will run a lot deeper. And that's why a lot of times the, the shame and the guilt and the carnage that results from sexual sin is extremely devastating. The intimacy of sexual sin will cut us to the core. As it said in 1 Corinthians, your body is not your own. It is a temple of the Holy Spirit and bought with a price. So we need to take care of it and take this seriously. So summing up that first part, our sexual morality reflects the character of God. It's a testimony to his goodness and has a special, special intimacy to it. And this is why it is extreme importance to keep God's wisdom intimately close, as verse 4 said. It's also safe to assume that with so much godly good that our sexual morality brings forth, that it's also going to be a prime target for Satan to attack. We talked about why it's so important and why there's so many good things that come out of it, how it reflects God and what it can do in us and help us to flourish. And so anything that is that good, that reflects God that well, is going to be a main area of attack. So Russell Moore said it well. He wrote a book called The Storm-Tossed Family. So I'm going to read a quote from it. He said, God created everything after the pattern of Jesus Christ. Marriage is pointing to the one flesh union of Christ and his church. It is no accident then that the old serpent seeks to disrupt the peace of the marriage covenant, of the integrity of the sexual union. The destruction of a family that images and announces the gospel is just as sacrilegious as desecrating a holy place. So we see here, and with the image we get, spiritual warfare is real, and it is a matter of eternal life or death. So it does us well to treasure up God's commandments and write them on our hearts as we are encouraged to do here. So the rest of the passage now gets into, as I said, the, more of a story about the father telling his son of, of a case where a young man doesn't heed the advice. And so I'll break that down a little bit. And really the two focuses, I'll talk a little bit about the man of the story, and then we'll talk a little bit about the other character of the adulterer, the adulteress in the story. So first, the simple man. So after the exhortation to listen in the first five verses, we're taken through this story. It's an example of what could happen if God, if, if you don't keep God's commandments treasured and close. So with this simple man, so first, this is how he's described simple. 
So the other term for simple, uh, so when we had our last elder meeting, we were looking up some of, the other, some of the other translations for it. And so the word simple is also seen as, as naive or gullible. So when it talks about this simple man, it's saying this, this simple, this gullible, this naive man who's young and lacking sense or lacking wisdom. Those who do not hold tightly to God's commands are going to be easy prey like this young, lacking wisdom, gullible, naive man. So he's walking out already off the bat, just getting the description of who he is. We're seeing that he is going to be easy prey, which we will find out soon after with the, with the adulteress picking him off. So he naively walks right into danger, and he is seemingly oblivious to the perils of his ways. As it says later in the chapter we'd read, that not knowing that it will cost him his life. So he's naively walking into this danger. And it definitely appears foolish, as it says, he's taking the road that leads to her house, which that's one of the things that jumped out to me at first, but then reading some commentaries, they're not sure, so the different commentators said they weren't sure whether he actually knew where he was going or not. But, but in the end, whether he actually knew what he was doing or not, the same thing is, is true, is that he was walking into danger regardless, and a thing that is definitely foolish was the timing of the day of which he was walking down that particular road. So it said, and it said it three different ways in terms of at twilight and, and being near darkness, and the reason that's significant in terms of even just physically is the twilight was the time of the evening uh, back then when a lot of the, the criminals uh, who would go in, and basically robbers, and they want to jump people, and the prostitutes would come out, and that was because with, with the darkness setting, then their identity would be better concealed and masked so people would not know who they were. So him going out at this time is the time of day when a lot of the people you don't want to run into are starting to take to the streets. So walking down the road near darkness is a risk regardless of what his intentions are and something that's foolish regardless of his intentions. So he may not have actually been outright looking for trouble, but what we do know when we see in here is that, well, trouble is, is going to be out looking for him. So it's a warning for us to not be complacent. So we may not be looking for the trouble. We may not be out taking the specific road, but we know that the dangers are out there and we can't just go out blindly and naively. So we cannot be complacent in our faith. There's a reason that Ephesians 6 tells us that we need to put on the spiritual armor of God each day. We must be actively engaged in protecting ourselves from Satan's attacks and also sharpening our swords, the word of God, to fight against his attacks. Another point in, in Ephesians, Ephesians 5, 15, 17, we're told, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So make the best use of your time. Know his will, know God's will, know God's commands, keep them close to your heart. The other foolish example we see from this man is that once confronted by the adulteress, he engages with her. He is not guarding his heart. Rather, he listens to her and allows himself to be persuaded by her. I think of the contrast. I was reading, uh, reading Genesis with, with my son the other night, and there's a story of Joseph when he was in Pharaoh's house working, and Pharaoh's wife confronted him looking for an affair. And it said that Joseph turned and ran. 
It's like, I just like picture that. Like literally, he saw what's happening, and it also said he would not listen to her. He would not listen. He turned and ran, which needs to be our response. The fool in this story did not turn and run. He stayed and he listened. Our hearts have got to be guarded, and we must be intent on doing what is right and good. We need to be aware of the temptations, and we need to be intent on doing what's right and good, which is why those first five verses so heavily hit that. Because if we're not intimate with God's word, then we're more likely to be led into and succumb to temptation and deception. So the other character we want to look at now, as I said, the adulteress. So it's the other character of the two main characters of the story. The adulteress is the one who is specifically looking for trouble in this story. So a lot of different descriptions with her, so I'll hit a few and only expand on a few. But with the adulteress, it says she comes out dressed provocatively and is wily of heart. So another one of those words, so wily, one of the good words, another translation is sly. So she's very wily or sly of heart. And one of her most dangerous characteristics is her smooth talk. So it's the first and last characteristic that was used to describe her in the passage. And it's the only one that is repeated, her smooth words. It's with her smooth, sly words that she persuades this gullible, naive man. So she first plays to his ego by using flattery as she kisses him and says that she sought for him eagerly. And then she ups the persuasion by adding more enticements, saying she offered sacrifices, which implies there is a feast prepared with meat. Because that was one of the things that you have to read into it a little bit, is by offering sacrifices, there would commonly have been choice meats afterwards that they would have used and had a feast for. So she says, she says that she offered sacrifices, which implies there's also a feast that's prepared and ready to be eaten. And that's going to be a special treat. And then she mentions linens and perfumes and speaks, which, which those would speak to her wealth because not, no common people had those items. So it was speaking to her wealth and also adding a sensual element to, to what she's offering. So really in the end, she's playing this up to the max. Build him up, offer him good food, speak of your wealthy luxuries, give him sensual ideas, and then... She entices him with the offer of delighting himself in love until the morning. And to top it off, she offers him the promise of secrecy. Her husband is away and won't be home for some time. Plus, as we mentioned before, darkness is setting in, so largely he's probably going to be unknown, and what she's saying is nobody's going to know what you're doing and you won't get caught. Quick note on that one is that what we know, sin, sin thrives in the darkness. The more it is hidden the more it's going to grow. And the tighter its grip becomes on your mind and soul. So do not let smooth talk and empty promises draw you into the darkness. Because even if your sin does go undetected, your soul is still going to suffer greatly. Unrepentant sin will draw you away from God. And the longer it festers, the more dangerous it gets. It will draw you down into the chambers of death, like at the end of this chapter. So confess your sins to the Lord. Repent of your sins. Turn away from your sins. And instead, turn to the cross of Christ where we find salvation. 
Also, I'd encourage you to confess your sins to those close to you. So those close to you in the church, confess your sins to them, to your community, and ask for help and ask for accountability because we don't want to let these things fester. We want to actively fight them the best we can. And that's one of the things that we do well as the body of Christ is fight these battles with one another. So don't let your sin fester. It will kill your soul. Another thing that you notice here is that the adulteress does not try to persuade this man that it is okay or right for them to have sexual relations. Because sometimes you might think that's the tactic. It's to convince him that what he's doing is okay or there's not actually anything wrong with it. She doesn't do that. Rather, she entices him with how good it will be and that nobody will know. Basically, she tries to separate the action from the consequence. And this promise of love and pleasure through the delight of a sinful act, free of any consequences, is a common tactic we see in Scripture used by Satan. Looking back at the very beginning, Genesis 2, we had learned about God creating Adam and Eve and said that they shall become one flesh. So he set up the structure for a good and godly relationship, which was then immediately attacked by Satan in Genesis 3. So I'm going to read Genesis 3, 1 through 6. And as I do so, I want you to just pay attention to what we'd say the, the smooth words, the sly words of Satan and how it mimics what we're seeing in our story today. So Genesis 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Satan enticed Adam and Eve with smooth talk and deception. So he separated action from consequence. He put doubt into God's word. He enticed them with the promised pleasure, and they bought it. So it says that after Satan spoke to Eve, that she saw that the tree was a delight to the eyes. So one of the words we're picking up similar to our story today. The adulteress here is selling the delight of love just like Satan was selling the delight of that fruit. Adam and Eve and the man in our story today were, both, were all three taken in by the smooth, seductive talk of their adversary. To delight in sin will always lead to death, which was the case in both of these examples. In today's story, we see it with the adulterous affair, but we know it is not limited to just that. So even just talking about the sexual morality piece of it, it's not just the adultery. So jumping to Matthew 5, I'm just going to read or look at 19 and 28, so two verses from, from Matthew that are connected together, where Jesus said, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, adultery, sexual immorality, and then also later, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So the passage that Jesus was going through where he was showing that the commandments that we have are not just about the actions, but the commandments are really about 
the heart. So he talks about adultery, sexual morality coming from the heart. Anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery. So from looking at pornography to entertaining lustful thoughts in your head, these are examples of delighting in sin. And there are way too many people delighting in these sins. So I was looking at a website, so Covenant Eyes, which helps provide accountability for people struggling with, uh, with sexual sins such as pornography. And they have some statistics. And there was a whole bunch of them, but I wanted to highlight at least a few of them to give us an idea of, of just how serious this issue really is. So in their survey, in the general public, only 55% of adults 25 and older think porn is wrong. And only 10% of younger adults and teens had a negative view on it, meaning that 90% of young adults and teens were either had a positive view on pornography or at least were neutral on it. Only 10% saw it as a negative. And almost half of young adults polled said they first viewed porn before they were teenagers. Among professing Christians specifically, 64% of men and 15% of women say they watch porn at least once per month. So as you can see, those statistics, this, this is a very pervasive sin that many, many people are delighting in. And even if you're not engaged in pornography or adultery, as I mentioned before, we also want to make sure that we, we keep in mind that well, you know, what, what Jesus had said is that it's a, it's a heart issue. Like Even if you're not acting out in terms of committing adultery or acting out and looking at pornography, even if you're just entertaining the thoughts in your head, even if you're just delighting in the thoughts alone are a rebellion against God, they're just as wicked and they are just as deadly. As Jesus pointed out, it's out of the heart these things arise. It's a heart issue, not a behavior issue. Delighting in sin of any kind is deadlier than anything you'll ever face. Deadly to your own soul and also toxic to your relationships. You have to keep God's commands written on your heart so you can guard against it and against the temptation to delight in sin of any kind. And we know that temptations will come. And they will be enticing. Because if they weren't enticing, then they wouldn't be tempting by definition. It will look different for each of us, but we must be on guard against these things which we'll, we'll hit a little bit more of that in a moment. Our passage today says of the woman that her feet do not stay home, and at every corner she lies in wait. This is similar imagery that we see in other passages describing sin and Satan once again. So back to Genesis, now into Genesis 4. In Genesis 4 and 7, just after Adam and Eve fell for the smooth words of Satan, we see God warning their son Cain that sin is crouching at the door. And then tying that to what we read in 1 Peter 5.8, we are warned, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Adultery will devour you. Pornography will devour you. Entertaining sexually immoral thoughts will devour you. The wisdom of the Proverbs echoes what we see throughout Scripture. There is a spiritual battle being waged, and we are in the thick of it. Walking around aimlessly or complacently is dangerous ground. 
and will make you susceptible to the smooth words of the deceiver, and it can cost you your life. As an ox goes to the slaughter, as a bird rushes into a snare, it can cost you, or another one, as a stag is caught fast, those are the three mentioned in our, in our chapter, it can cost you your life before you even know it. That's another one of the dangers of sin, is it often ensnares you before you even realize what's happening. The man in this story seems completely unaware that he's about to become another one of her victims made low, one of her slain going down to the chambers of death, because we know that the wages of sin is death. So this is a battle that you can't afford to lose, so we need to heed the warning, keeping God's commandments and live. And in that, there's so much hope and beauty. And it's one of the things I love too, is, is when we look at our exhortation here, when, when we're in the, going back to the beginning, when we're called to keep God's commandments, what is it that he's telling us? So he's not telling us to be smart enough. He's not telling us to be strong enough. He's not saying that you personally have to be aware and do all the things yourself, do all of these enough. Because if we try that, we know we suffer the same fate as the animals going to the slaughter and caught in a snare in this story. The strength of the bull is not good enough. The grace of the deer was not good enough. The swiftness of the bird was not good enough. No, our own efforts are going to fail. Our encouragement that we're given in this chapter is to keep God's words written on your heart. Like the spiritual armor of Ephesians 6, it all points back to God. He is our hope and our salvation. He is the one who will hold us fast and deliver us from evil. Consider Revelation 17. I don't have it up on the, on the, on the screen. But just follow along. It's just a few pieces of it. But consider what we're told and what we see in the imagery of Revelation 17, where it talks about the judgment of the great prostitute with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on the earth have become drunk. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. And they, the prostitute and the, and the, and the beast, will make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them for he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. So in Christ, we have victory. It's through the blood of the cross, Satan has been defeated. But although our victory is secure in Christ, we are still in the battle. And Satan wants to take down every soul with him that he can. He set traps, he set snares, and he wants to catch and devour you. So be constantly aware Make the best use of your time and cling to Christ. Remember the gospel and the price that was paid for you. Remember the hope you have in Jesus Christ. Write his gospel on your heart and remind yourself of it constantly. Treasure God's word, keep his commandments, and live. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we have you as our rock and our redeemer. We thank you that with the spiritual battles waging, we thank you that with the, the traps that may be set for us, with the attacks 
of Satan. We thank you that you are faithful to hold us fast, and I pray that you would. And I pray that you'd keep us near to your heart, that when we do wander, that you would convict us of our sins, help us to be caught in our sins, and help to provide accountability for our sins. And that with that, that we would be joyful of you and your work in us, and that as we turn away from sin and as we turn to you, that we would get to experience the joy and the fruit that comes with it, and that you would be glorified and your gospel would spread. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.